The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. Try for just a minute to imagine what life in this world would be like if there weren't any sin. No sin. So that means no sin and none of its effects. So people don't get sick. They don't grow old. They don't die. Children always listen. Spouses are always perfectly dependable. There's peace and harmony in the world. There's no such thing as strife between nations. There's no terror incursions and bombing reprisals. It's not a world where you attach hand grenades to drones and drop them in trenches. It's a world where man lives in harmony with nature, a place where man and woman are completely symbiotic, a world where God is your friend who goes on walks with you in the woods in the afternoon. It's hard for us to imagine what a world like that would be like Specifically because the only world our eyes have ever seen and our fingers have ever felt is this world that is so broken and so ravaged by sin that a perfect world is one that it's almost impossible for us to to even comprehend. But, you know, keep this in mind. That perfect world might be hard for us to imagine, but that's exactly what God had created. You do not have a God who created a world where little children are killed by drunk drivers. You do not have a God where people die of cancer. That's not the world he created. You do not have a God who created a world that was meant to be filled with death and destruction in this ever-downward spiral. That's not what our God created. He created a perfect world for his children. And it was perfect for a little while. But you know, trouble didn't take long to make its way to Eden. It came in the form of a serpent. Satan had lost his battle with God. Now he'd come to see if he could ruin what was most important to God, God's children. He found them in the garden next to the tree by which good and evil are known. And he hissed his lies into their ears. He told them that God didn't really love them like he said he loved them that God didn't have their best interests in mind, that God was looking out for himself. And he offered the false promises, the half-truths that all is that sin can offer. It's all it can do. And Adam and Eve listened. They had a choice. All they had to do was look around, right? If they'd have looked around, they'd have seen evidence of God's love. They'd have seen the garden that God had created for them, this perfect world. If they looked at each other, they would have seen proof of God's love. This spouse that God gave them, that was everything a spouse was meant to be. They could look anywhere they wanted to in all creation and they would have seen evidence of God's love for them. Evidence of the truth as opposed to the lies that were being hissed into their ears. They could have looked anywhere, but they, uh, they just couldn't tear their eyes away from that forbidden fruit. They had a binary choice. Who would they serve? Would they serve the God who had created them, that had given them everything 
or would they serve themselves and the serpent Satan? They chose Satan. They chose Satan, and, uh, and in doing so, they plunged that perfect world into the downward spiral of death and destruction that you and I wake up and see every day. They chose Satan, and in that moment, all of the holiness and righteousness with which they were made was gone. And in the vacuum left behind, rushed in sin and death and all the things that we see on the news and all the things we feel in our homes and all the things we mourn in our hearts. Gone was their perfect world. Gone was their relationship to nature, with to each other. Gone was the life that God had created for them. And gone was the relationship that they had with God. Sim impacted it so much that when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden... They hid from him because sinful mankind cannot conceive of a God who would come other than to punish because they knew what they'd done and they understood the consequences. They had chosen Satan so they got to share his fate, a fate of death and hell forever. You know, and right there, Adam and Eve they didn't just condemn themselves. They condemned every one of their future children, a whole world they condemned to death. Because everyone born of a sinful father would share the same fate as their father Adam. Like it says in Romans, in this way death came to all men because all have sinned. So this was not just Adam and Eve's problem. It's our problem too. It's the age-old problem of how do sinners stand before a holy God? Because the truth is God would have been right to send them to hell right then and there. The soul that sins, it shall die. Eve knew it. You must not eat it, you must not touch it, or you will surely die. He would have been right and just to send them to be with Satan whom they chose. But he loved them. I mean, and it's, it's like almost a senseless love, right? These people who had betrayed him had chosen evil over good, wickedness over righteousness, turned their back on God, were disloyal, faithless. And God loved them. Loved them in spite of themselves. This is the first time we get to see grace in action because that's what grace is. It's love that we just don't deserve. And that was the love that God was pouring out that day. That was the love that was in his heart as he came walking in the garden. Because he hadn't come to punish. He had come to say he was going to do something about this. Now, he certainly couldn't ask those two sinful people to make things right. We need to hear this again and again because we get this crazy idea in our heads That when we've got a problem with God, the solution is about me. What I need to do, how I need to act, what I need to say, how I need to pray, thinking that if I just do the right things, then somehow, well, the guy upstairs will be appeased. When we think that, we're completely misunderstanding the gravity of our problem. We are completely underestimating the holiness of God. 
There is no amount of works or things or prayers or acts that you and I could do that could begin to make up for the wickedness, the sinfulness, and the wrongs that we've done. This was going to have to be a completely different kind of solution, an arrow-pointing-down solution. God said, this isn't going to be about sinful mankind figuring things out. This is going to be about me. I'm going to take action. He wanted Adam and Eve to trust him, that he would save them from this problem. So he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So here is God's age-old promise to his people. He said, I'm going to send someone to fix this. I'm going to fix this problem that that serpent Satan started. The person who's going to fix it is going to be born of woman, but he's going to be no ordinary man. He'll be the serpent crusher. And Adam and Eve believed that promise. They believed that promise, and then they waited for the serpent crusher to come. That's the story of the whole Old Testament. God's people waiting for that born of woman serpent crusher to arrive. But they had a long wait. Generation after generation, parents told their children, the serpent crusher's coming. The serpent crusher is coming. And a long list of mothers after Eve bore generation after generation and carried that promise of a heel-bruised serpent crusher to full term. Mothers like Sarah and Rebecca and Ruth and Rahab and Bathsheba and a whole list of unnamed mothers carried that promise to full term until finally at the end of that long list of mothers stands the unassuming woman from an unimportant town whose name was Mary. Mary and Eve are counterparts, right? Eve, our first mother, she believed the lie of the serpent and she was deceived. Mary believed the promise. She believed and she conceived. See, when the time had fully come for God to keep his age-old promise, he sends out Gabriel, his messenger, to that unimportant town and that unassuming young woman and he says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary didn't understand. She was afraid. Gabriel says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. God was answering that age-old promise. This unassuming young woman named Mary was going to give birth to the serpent crusher that they've all been waiting for. But Mary was confused. She knew where babies came from. And she was a virgin. So she says, how, how will this be? And then Gabriel he unveils the mystery about this promise that God had kept for all these generations. The mystery was that this serpent crusher was not going to be born in the normal way. Right? He was going to be born of a woman, but he was not going to be born with our age-old problem of being 
brought into this world with the sin of our father Adam on top of us. This child was going to be born of no sinful father. No, he would be called the son of the holy most high God. Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. So every other week when we finish the sermon, we confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed, right? And there's this line in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. We say those words every other week, but maybe today is a really good day to stop and ponder them for a little bit. That the Almighty God made himself a baby born to a poor virgin. That when the king of heaven and earth came into our world, he clothed himself with our humanity. He was enfleshed. He became one of us to save us. He had to do it that way. There wasn't another option. He had to be born as a man because he needed to be able to stand in our place to bear our punishment, to be under God's law. But he had to be true God so that he could live that life perfectly for us and so that when he died, God's death would be worth the life and the sins of the whole world. So God was conceived in Mary's womb. God had come to save his people and he was going to right the wrong that Adam and Eve began, the wrongs that you and I perpetuate with our wickedness every single day. God himself was born of a virgin. The serpent crusher had come. Now, there are plenty of people in our world today who look at this and they scoff a little bit. And they say, well, I've never seen a pregnant virgin before. Seems like an oxymoron. Well, keep in mind, when someone make, wants to make this less than a miracle, what they're doing is they're trying to make your Savior less than true God. And if he's less than true God, he's no Savior at all. Because no man could have saved you from your sins. No mere man could take your place in the scales of divine judgment. No mere man would be a life that was worth anything, much less for the sins of the world. Only God can do those things. And so in Jesus, God became human for you. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He had to be. Because he wasn't just the answer to the age-old promise, he was the solution to the age-old problem. Christ was the solution to your sin and to mine. And the way he solved it was by becoming a man so that God and man could die on the cross for you. Because when he died, Satan's head was crushed and everything changed. Because God kept that promise, because he brought that solution, that means you and I, were no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to listen to the hissing lies of the devil anymore. You know that sin that's crouching at the door of your life right now that wants you, that wants you to do what it wants to do and play with you like a puppet on a string? 
you don't have to listen. Because Jesus has come. He has set you free from sin and death. You are children of the king. Satan has no authority over you. Sin has no hold on you. There is no more hostility between you and God. God in this reconciling act, this arrow pointing down act of grace, God has made you right with him. You don't even have to be afraid of dying. Because when our brother rose from the dead, he said, that's your victory too. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And the first human to do that was our brother, the king who came here wearing our humanity, ensconced in flesh and blood, enfleshed for you and me. You know, at the beginning of this message, I asked you to try to picture a perfect world, a hard thing for us to do, but, but an important thing for us to do. Not to try to remember the paradise that was lost in the Garden of Eden. Now, what's the sense in that? It's important for us to think about a world like that because that's the world that's waiting. Because when our brother rose from the dead, paradise was regained. And right now, your Heavenly Father is preparing a world for you in which there is no sin or any of its effects where everything that's wrong in your life right now is made right and every promise is kept. John said this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and I heard a voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Because the promise was answered. The problem was solved. The virgin-born Son of God has trampled the serpent beneath his feet. And he has prepared a perfect world for those who trust in him. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. God granted. Amen. Amen.